0: Welcome to the Start Me Up Podcast. I'm Kimberly Johnson, DC, and today I'll be talking with actor, resistor, and all-around badass Kirk Acevedo. You know him from Twitter as Kid Vicious. And you've seen him in movies and television shows such as Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, HBO's prison drama Oz, Band of Brothers, 12 Monkeys, Law and Order, Special Victims Unit, CSI, and the list just goes on and on and on. First, we're gonna be talking about his activism and his politics. And then we're gonna focus on his craft and his creative life. I love talking with actors. I used to be one and I love talking politics. So today's show is gonna be extra special for me and I know you're gonna love it too. But before we get going, The Start Me Up podcast is produced by me and only me. I don't have a corporate media colossus backing me up with advertising or search engine tech stuff. It's just me, and I'm joined by my co-host, Steph Walton, twice a month. The truth is none of this would happen without you. And that's why we rely on your financial support to keep the show on the air. So when you get a chance, make sure to stop by our Patreon page at patreon.com startmeup. Sign up for at least $1 per month. You'll hardly even miss it. And you'll be supporting the show in the best possible way. We've had some incredible guests from The Feminist Next Door, who's a monthly regular, Tamale Fast Alyssa Milano, Charlotte Clymer, Sarah Kenzior, and actors Vincent D'Onofrio and Kristen Johnston, who's coming back on September 10th. I can't wait to talk to her again. Um, Just visit patreon.com slash startmeup, look around the site, and listen to some of the shows. If you like what you hear, support the show. Okay, that's it for the ad, and now my conversation with Kirk Acevedo. Welcome Kirk Acevedo.
1: Hi Kim, how it's, are
0: you? I'm good, it's good to have you on the show.
1: Oh, thank you for having me, I appreciate it.
0: Um, I, I really love your tweets and your passion and you make me laugh when you're also just talking about the issues, but I wanna know uh, where Kid Vicious came from.
1: Uh, you know, I think the way I played when I was, <laughs> I was younger and uh, just uh, ribbing friends and stuff like that. I think it's just something that <laughs> <laughs> kind of stuck. I, I, it sounds like I'm a bully now, Good but uh, <laughs> uh, I just, it's just something that stuck with me. It's just more my temperament. So. Yeah. Huh.
2: Have,
0: have you always been political?
1: You don't have. You know, I always I, I, maybe didn't vocalize it. When I was younger, but I always watched, you know, CNN or read the Times in high school and read about political stuff, and you know, definitely not until 2016, mm-hmm. until our uh, our hat in chief uh, <laughs> got elected, uh, did I really delve into it. So,
0: huh. yeah, well, like I,
1: most like most Americans, so. yeah,
0: I I kind of got into it in 2012. I mean, I've I've been political since. Like the year two thousand, when it was the Bush v. Gore thing happening, and I paid attention.
2: But oh, I, yes, yes.
0: Yeah, I wasn't a junkie though until twenty twelve, and like my first, yeah. my first, I guess, real introduction, especially into like political writing and activism, was in twenty twelve when um, Rush Limbaugh called Sandra Flick a slut. And so then I wrote an open letter to him from a liberal slut and that just kind of started everything. And yeah, I've not been able to like drag myself away from it ever since. (laughs) It's just been crazy. But, you know, there's there's a couple of things I've noticed that you've been tweeting about boycotts. So the first one I want to talk about is Equinox. I know you talked about that with Scott Dworkin, but I just want you to like fill everybody in. So tell us the deal with Equinox.
1: Oh, the deal with Equinox is, uh, you know, Stephen Ross held a fundraiser. For Trump, I think it was up to two hundred fifty thousand a seat, and that's to sit with him. And Jeez. you know, obviously there was varying other prices. You know, like you could sit at a table for seven dollars. But to make a long story short, is you know, you know, most members of Equinox tend to be very liberal mm-hmm. and very progressive, and the fact that. You know, the owner has the right to do whatever he wants with his money Mm -hmm. the same way I have the right (laughs) to not have my membership dues go into his pocket and to be used to support a racist president. Yeah. So, you know, for me, that was, you know, I don't think people understand, like, I'm a creature of habit. Every morning I have a cup or two of coffee. (laughs) I drive to the gym (laughs) I plan my workout in my head during the drive. And for the last over close to 15 years, I've done the same thing with at Equinox, you know, all over, you know, from New York to here to Vancouver, Los Angeles. So for me to stop that, you know, people say, oh, that's like so easy. It's not easy when you've been doing it for 15 years, arguably 300 over 300 days a year, you know? So uh, I made a statement and I called a bunch of my friends and I was like, uh, Hey, you're, you're quitting Equinox, right? (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, I got quite a few to quit and I think one or two were like, Oh, let me see what happens. You know, maybe they'll buy them out. You know, if they buy them out, I'll rejoin. But, um, it doesn't look like that's happening right. so i'm kind of fucked right now oh. so that's that's where i'm at well so.
0: are, have you found a new place to work out
1: i have not i'm actually putting up a a heavy bag in my backyard today so so i could at least get uh, cuz i just moved yeah so you know it's I'm trying to suss out the neighborhood, so, yeah.
2: (laughs)
0: Well, you also tweeted to CVS Pharmacy, which I love this. You said, hi, CVS Pharmacy. My favorite way to unwind is by bringing light to your company policies on controlling women's health care and reproductive rights. And my second favorite way to unwind is by boycotting your ass. (laughs) I just just love that, and thank you.
1: (laughs) No, I mean, listen, no, no man should have a say over a woman's body yeah it's it's just i you know it it, it, that's it nothing more needs to be said you know (laughs) i mean you know what i mean we could talk about this for days you know we have a board you know and it's like 12 to 3 or whatever the number is but it's just like 12 white men and three white women it's just you know it's bad you know they don't have your best interests at heart and they don't care and i wonder if you know, if – I'm sure uh, uh, the uh, Viagra uh, prescriptions are, are doing fine.
2: Right. But, you drawing. know, it's
1: just uh, women should have a say what they do with their bodies. Wow.
0: Yeah, and <laughs> this, it, it was interesting because I had um, posted something about that I'd be boycotting CVS, and uh, Peter Frampton actually came on and, and responded, and he said that um, – I think he said that his, somebody he knew was denied a prescription for, like, hormones by, yeah. by Walgreens. but he right. sa- And he said that CVS guaranteed every prescription, and, and I corrected him because if you go, if you just do a Google search, you can find there's a map that shows what states pharmacists can... Um, use their, you know, whether it's a religious morality or whatever, to deny you a prescription. So some sure. states, like for instance California, they're not allowed to do that. But there are other states in the country who, uh, they either they can say um, that's against my, you know, my my religion here. Go to this place, or just straight up that's against my religion, and they don't have to tell you where you where else you can go. So unfortunately, right. you know, I mean, I don't want to fight with Peter Frampton or anything, but he was wrong about that, and and it's just. Yeah. I mean, it's like you said, Viagra is there's no problem. But when it comes to women's, uh, whether it's medications or hormones or whatever, yeah. it's like um, they're deciding that they don't think it's moral, and that's bullshit.
1: Well, when you have like 12 men on the board, you know there's not going to be a problem with Viagra. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so
0: it's just yeah. it's just crazy. But you know, I also kind of want to ask you. I know you were born in 1971, so that makes you a Gen Xer and yeah. I'm a Gen Xer, and I'm just kind of curious, um, how did being a Gen Xer shape your political views? I know that's a loaded question, um, but I, you know, I'll just, I'll start this by saying, as a Gen Xer, I, you know, they always yeah. say we're, we're jaded. And to a degree, that's true. Um, I am jaded, but I also I have hope and I you know I went with my mom to march against the war many times and yeah, you know I always felt a certain sense of 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 needing to see justice. I mean, I don't know right. if that comes from being a Gen Xer But I mean, I'm I, I am one so that that's how I feel and I look at our current political climate and I I feel like I can't not say anything
1: Yeah, I mean, no, I don't know if being in you know, Gen X or per se, like on a conscious level, that uh, you know, moved me politically. I, I say more how I was raised and where I came from.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you know, something that people don't talk about is that, you know, they're always trying to get out the minority vote. You know, black and Hispanic vote, mm-hmm. and a lot of black and Hispanic. I mean, listen, 50% of Americans don't vote in general, but uh more so with black and hispanics they don't come out and vote and i think they don't vote because they don't think it's going to matter most of the time they you know other than obama they don't see people that resemble them Mm -hmm. they don't think that these people are going to meaning the candidates are going to have their best interest so they feel it doesn't matter and so growing up I kind of felt the same the same way. You know, it's just like, you know, voting is silly. Why vote? We know why we should vote. We know right. why on every level why we should vote for for judges and yeah. prosecutors, you know what I mean, all the way out. We know why. You know how the game is played. But just for me, I just you know, you know, what, what is the, um, what is the, uh, the, Oh God for, for hiring. And it was created in the seventies for hiring and, uh, not affirmative action. Oh um, yeah.
0: No, I know. I know what you're talking about and I can't think of what you're talking about. <laughs> I know what you mean though.
1: Yeah. But you know, for me as a child growing up, I wanted to be the best person for the job.
2: Yeah.
1: You know what I mean? I was like, I want the job not because they need another Latino to have that job. I want the job because I'm the best person for yeah. the job. So that was just a little pride in myself growing up also. Hmm. You know, I understand why we is it affirmative. I think it I is affirmative it's action, yeah. It's on the tip it, of my tongue.
0: I think it is affirmative action.
1: Affirmative action. Yes. And uh, for me I just wanted to I understand I have to work harder then yeah. the next person. I don't, growing up in the Bronx, we don't have the best schools, mm-hmm. right? Right. We don't have the, 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 you know, as many, you know, single bomb, uh, raising two boys, latchkey kid at five years old. Wow. You know, there was a lot of things against me. You know, I had to overcome just a lot of adversity and as, as, as many other people do too, mm-hmm. but I just never made my adversity an excuse and Mm -hmm. i just kind of you know take that same mentality into politics i guess you know Mm -hmm. i'm a little bit i mean i i definitely have to edit myself you know Mm -hmm. my wife tells me you can't you can't tweet that and i wish i could and (laughs) if i was a comedian i probably could tweet a lot of those things but i'm not so context is a huge thing you Mm -hmm. know so
0: Hmm. that's that's uh That's kind of true. I mean, I've thought the same thing. I actually did lose my Facebook page. I had a huge Facebook page. uh, It was verified and everything. And I mean, it wasn't anything I said. It was just that, you know, Facebook had these arbitrary rules that they set up when they decided they were going to purge 800 liberal and conservative. uh, You know, there was pages and profiles and I happened to be in that mix. So I lost it. And it really sucks because it's nice to have... Um, a huge platform, especially when they right. have big opinions. Why did they?
1: Why do they cancel?
0: Well, uh, long story short, it's because I was working with this guy, and we had a blog and it was a yeah. fairly successful blog and so what we would do is you know he had his own he had pages and i had pages so you have your profile which is your personal profile and then you have like political pages right on facebook gotcha. yeah, so sure. he probably had about i don't know 5 or 6 of his own and they were they were at least 100,000 likes maybe 300,000 likes and then we had a network of other activists who had pages and so we would all share each other's work and gotcha. you know so from our blogs and facebook decided that doing that at least with a portion, because people are still doing that today. This was back last October, but they decided that that was against Facebook's rules, and they just shut everything down. They didn't give an, give us an opportunity. They didn't like. They didn't say, "Hey, stop doing this." They didn't give us any warning. They just shut everything down. And frankly, the reason they did it was because they were called in front of Congress uh, about taking rubles and spreading disinformation, and they wanted to prove right. to Congress that they could regulate themselves. And I think that's you know they they did target both conservatives and liberals so they could say see we can do it we can be you know self-regulating and we don't need you and that was i think that was their big thing so it was just it was disappointing but i mean i understand you know what it feels like to i i built that you know i mean i i'm not famous and you know i i wrote some books and i i decided i was gonna you know try to push my books and it became i became a political activist as a result of that and um So everything was from scratch and, you know, people followed me and they liked what I had to say and then I just lost it. So it just it's it sucks when that happens. And then, you know, when you're on Twitter, I I saw there was a girl, uh, a woman, I should say, and I can't remember her name, but she had a blue check. And I think she said something about child rape and she she lost her whole Twitter page. She was verified, too. And I talk about it all the time. I talk about. What do you mean?
1: What did you say about child rape? What I don't. Do I don't t-
0: know exactly. Evidently, I never saw the tweet, but I heard that it was controversial. But it was just basically, it was when the Jeffrey Epstein story broke, and yeah. uh, she was pissed, and she said something about it that was supposedly controversial, and then she deleted it, and then Twitter cut her off.
1: You know, it's so funny when you tweeted your thing yesterday about. Uh, the, what the Republicans were saying about rape, yeah. I was gonna tweet the most heinous <laughs> thing, and I was like, I, 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 said, I told my like, babe, "Is this all right?" And she looks at me, she goes, "God, no." <laughs> I said like, "I was like, well, maybe they should all get raped and experience. Like it was, but it was just yeah. more ambitious than that. And I was just like, uh "All right, let me just—I'll just comment on your post, <laughs> and that's it." So. You know, yeah, it's I mean, awful. but that's another thing is, you know, people are just so sensitive.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I, listen, I've heard everything from, I cannot wait to read your obituary, <gasps> go back to Mexico. Oh. Um, oh my God, your mouth will be shut up very soon. I can't wait to see you in person. Cause I'm going to knock out all your fucking teeth. Oh, I mean, God. listen, most people would be afraid. Yeah. were they not? They're like, because... They're going to recognize me. I'm not going to recognize them. I don't know who they are. They <laughs> yeah. know who I am. So I'm, I'm in a, you know, a, a bit of a predicament here, you know, <laughs> yeah, but right. I can't, I can only worry about the things that I can control. I yeah. can't control any of these, these things. And, and so just people in general are just mm. uber sensitive, man. <laughs> like they take like it's just such an affront, these things that are said. On Twitter, and it could be like an eight-year-old kid. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It could be, a you know, everyone from like five years old to 90. I just wish people would, you know, let it roll off their shoulder a bit more. You know, it's, uh,
0: you know. Yeah, it's getting ridiculous, but I think part of it is also that, I mean, there's legitimate people out there who get offended, but I think there's something to the fact that there would be, like, a real person who happens to see a tweet that they find offensive, uh, specifically a partisan tweet. Um, yeah. or, well, maybe not partisan because what you wanted to tweet wasn't partisan, but it would be considered partisan maybe by a Republican or a yeah. conservative. And then they get their army of bots to report you. Oh, and, 100%. Yeah, yes. so it's like there's, there's the sensitivity, and then there's also this um, – you know, warfare, whether whether it's coming from Russian bots or just bots created by, you know, yeah. GOP or mayor, whoever. Um, yeah, it's it's you, you do have to be careful about what you say, because unfortunately, Jack will leave up anything Trump
1: says. But do you, do you, let me ask. Let me ask you a question. Hmm. Do you think we're getting, especially the last two years we're, or, 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 or the three years since Trump's been in office, we're getting two PC?
0: Uh, yeah, that's interesting. My, my boyfriend likes to talk about that because he doesn't he, he's not so far as Bill Maher on the PC issue. But yeah, he, yeah. he feels like, yes, we are. I think that we are like I'm, I'm kind of right in between because I totally understand the need for um, certain kinds of, uh, I guess, re- like there's got to be respect for reality. Like, for instance, the term microaggression. I've yeah. heard people um, pick that apart, but it's a real thing. You know, I think it's like, it's a real thing. I, I've experienced it in the workplace where, you know, you have people saying things to you and it's almost like gaslighting. Like they'll say something to you that is a microaggression. And if you dare to say anything back, now you're the one who looks like you're being adversarial, even though they're the ones who started it. And, yeah. you know, being Well, they, one...
1: they're, they're setting you up. I mean, that's what's going on, yeah. actually. Yeah. So, they, they, they want that response from you. So, yeah,
0: yeah. And then they can point to you and say, Well, you're exactly. the one who's being Correct. outrageous. But, um, so, but, and I do think that there's there is going too far. I mean, and, and I'll go back to the Gen X question because as a Gen X, there's a certain amount of, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I grew up with inappropriate comedians all over the place. In yeah. fact, my boyfriend and I just watched, I'm not sure which one it was, but it was the Eddie Murphy stand up where he was talking about ice cream. And oh yes,
1: I just saw that recently too. My God, too. it's so funny. Yeah.
0: It is so funny, but I mean, so oh my funny. God, he he. Today, if he said so, and it was interesting, and I and I won't even go into full detail, but it's like it was interesting to me because he would get in trouble today for what he said, but you know, part of one of the things that he was talking about uh, were, were gay people that he didn't want to turn around so that gay men would look at his ass. And, and so he was, he was kind of, you could say being derogatory, but later on in the show, he turned around and he, he shook his ass. And, and what I got from that was that he was more making fun of the homophobes and yeah. he wasn't a homophobe, but it's like, comedians, no, he was not. Yeah. No, not at all. And, but you know, you walk this fine line. Sometimes people don't necessarily know where you're coming from and they make an yeah. assumption that you're being a homophobe when he truly wasn't.
1: Yeah. But also he made fun of everyone.
0: He did. So and he for said me, that.
1: For me, that's the key. It's, yeah. it's like the, there was, there was nothing off limits, black, Hispanic, yeah. white, gay, everybody was, and so to me, when you do that, then everything's okay, Right. You you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. You just can't. You can't be punching down. You can't be punching, you know, a group who's oppressed. And and he wasn't doing that. He was I really think in the bigger picture, he was kind of mocking all of that. And but but by today's standards, I don't know if he could get away with it. But I also grew up with people like Andrew Dice Clay, which, you know, I mean, he was just so freaking crude. And yeah. I, at the time, he was funny, and I still, I still think some of it's funny. Eventually, he yeah. went too far because he made a joke about having sex with, with his daughter or a daughter, and it was like, okay, that's not funny. But anyway. um, <laughs> he kind of came back. He's, he's been able to get jobs since then, but his, his yeah. crude stand-up didn't hold. But I think, it, 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 with your question, I do think we're getting too politically correct, and then, but there's a line. I think that there's a line where we have to be respectful to each other, yeah. but we also have to laugh at ourselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, because the reason why I ask that, because I've gotten a couple of things on Twitter, I've made responses about certain things. And, you know, if if somebody was um, being attacked or something was specifically a woman and something was said bad about them. And I remember responding about, you know, if that was my wife Mm -hmm, or my mother, I would have. And then someone responded to my tweet saying, well, why can't they just be a woman? Yeah. you go, a typical man. I'm like, I, personally, I don't understand what the fuck she was talking about. And, and this is what bothered me because I'm putting myself in the situation. If it was a man. And I said, if that was my father or my brother, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. I'm putting myself in that situation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it just happened to be a woman. And I said, oh, my God, that's horrible. Mm-hmm. You know, a- any any father or, or husband would be offended by this incident. If the same way, if it was a man, if that was my uncle, mm-hmm. that was my brother, was my father. I don't understand. I just don't understand that. Well, you know, that, that, that I,
0: actually, I don't think you were being sexist. But here's here's what it is. Um, actually just posted a meme. Uh, Alison Floyd, not even a meme, it was a tweet. Alison Floyd on Twitter said something about that. And she yeah. said, you know, it shouldn't have to basically depend on the fact that you have a daughter or a wife to feel that way. But she, but what she's, I think who she's addressing are the people who don't care in the bigger picture. You care about people. Yeah. You have empathy Correct. for everybody. And then you yeah. just personalized um, whatever terrible experience to somebody that you loved. And then you voiced that, uh, feeling, whereas like, for instance, in the GOP, uh, I, I, you mentioned that article that I did where I just collected comments about rape and it wasn't just men. There was a woman in there.
2: Yes. One woman. Yes.
0: Right. So now that question goes to them. It's like, what if it were your daughter? It shouldn't have to be posed. in in a way that it's just somebody that you love it should just be humanity you should just feel like nobody should be raped because obviously if they if they you know would you tell that would you give that advice to your daughter just lay back and relax enjoy it like the weather that's like one of them said that so you know what if what if something happened to you what if you were raped would you just give yourself that advice so I think that's where they were coming from and I think that um right now I I know, you know, I mean, I'm going to speak for women. I can't speak for, you know, women of color or or people of color, but women right now feel attacked. And, you know. Well, they
1: are. They are being attacked. Yeah, Yeah.
0: we're being attacked. And we've been, you know, our rights have been stripped away. But especially right now with this Jeffrey Epstein story and the fact that (laughs) there's going to be absolutely nothing coming from this because nobody can trust Barr. Um, Yeah, I can tell you, as a woman, I'm feeling incredibly defeated. I feel personally assaulted, mentally, not physically, but, and so right now all of us are kind of on edge and we're, we are um, quick to be angry. And it's yeah. understandable, but I think that you experienced that rage. And perhaps the person who told you didn't understand that you do have empathy for human beings. Yeah. That you were just Well, well also another
1: it. thing was, I think, you know, sometimes we do the same thing. Like, we'll read a comment and I go, Is, are they insulting me? And so You have to go <laughs> in their timeline. <laughs> this happens to everyone. You go in their timeline. They're like, oh, they're on my team. Right. Okay. Now I understand. And I think that's what happened with this person because they then deleted that tweet yeah. like asap and that makes you realize oh wait he's on you know yes. sometimes a tweet is taken out of context exactly, you don't yeah. you know what i mean so
0: yeah i mean i've know, done it i've done it where i just you know you, because you god you know you're on if you're on twitter all the time like i am um, on social yeah. media you know you get enraged and then sometimes you have these knee jerk reactions i try to keep myself from going there but you know we're all yeah. human and we mess up so, Sure. um i want to just switch I listened to your interview with Scott Dorkin, and you said that yeah. you met Trump twice.
1: Yeah, I did.
0: Oh, okay. So what I want to know is, obviously, you know, you had mentioned that everybody in New York knew who he was. Um,
1: of course, yeah.
0: But I want you, I want you to explain that. But first, I want you to explain, like, you're an actor, you're a sensitive, emotional person. So what yeah. was what was his vibe? I.
1: Uh, <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to speak from, like, a man's perspective here. Okay. So when I shake someone's hand from a young age, I, always, I was always taught firm handshake, and you look them in the eye, and you give a, a, eye contact.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Nice to meet you, or whatever it is. Pleasure to meet you. Thank you for having me. Whatever it is. Whatever uh, the situation calls for. And so someone introduced me to him, and I think it was at a Roy Jones fight at Radio City Music Hall. And he goes, Hey, blah, 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 Kirk Acevedo's, Donald Trump. Because he's a tall guy. I'm five foot 10. I think he's like six, two.
2: Uh
1: And he didn't look down. And I remember this distinctly. I'll tell you why (laughs) after. He didn't look down. He never looked at me. It was almost like he was the king. And I was this little peasant. Wow. Now, mind you, now, mind you, that's, that's just my take on the situation. Now yeah. you have to realize I, I also have a lot of baggage where I come from growing up in the South Bronx. You, you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. So I'm highly sensitive <laughs> to those situations. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? The same way to this day, if I go and I'm segueing a bit here, but I just want to explain like, we're, how people think where I come from. When I go into a store, I still think people are going to think I'm going to steal. Because mm-hmm. that's how, whatever store we went to when I was younger, they always thought we were going to steal. Wow. Because you just have this stigma that black and Hispanics are thieves or they're mm-hmm. junkies. And so you're trained that way. You know, you have this baggage going up. So having said that, when I met him, he doesn't look at me. He looks down upon me. My first hint was like, oh, I'm Hispanic. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, he doesn't want to. No, mind you, that's reaching. That's probably reaching.
2: He's just a dick. <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. He's just a dick. You know, he's just an asshole. Yeah, I wasn't famous enough for him. Right. That's basically what it is. Yeah. You know, if I was Puff Daddy, if I was Madonna, he would have been all good, guy. But then I met him a second time. And it was either at the Band of Brothers premiere or an Oz premiere. But after he left the first time, my buddy Granville Adams, uh, who was also on the show Oz with me, I go, I go, what the fuck is he doing here? I go, what an <laughs> asshole. You see? And I literally say, you see, didn't he even look me in the eye. I literally brought up all these things. And I remember that moment, Wow! you know, so that's my, my, uh,
0: that's interesting, and you know, it just goes it goes to the whole thing of, you know, the, his base, he wouldn't give his base the time of day. I and mean, here you are an actor, never. you know, a successful actor, and he can't even bring himself to look at you, and I mean, it's like, you know, these people who think he's, you know, that guy he called fat, you know, he yeah. said, well, I am fat, and Trump's the best thing that ever happened to this country. It's like, oh my god, we're so freaking doomed.
1: I mean, listen, I mean, okay, like, the whole religious right, they that that's their guy. Yeah, Trump is their guy. Well, they made bed with Satan mm-hmm. because what? Like three marriages. Uh, I, I mean, grabbing women by the pussy. Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, I mean, just I mean, like
1: everything. I mean, listen. If Obama said once until of what Trump has said. They literally would have brought back Jim, like Jim Crow laws. Yeah. They would have brought back like race, like, like slavery. Like, they would have done everything that they could to get rid of Obama yeah. if he did one inch. of, I mean, it, it's it's the hypocrisy is, is it's astounding. It's I mean, he, he
0: wore a tan suit and they lost their shit.
1: You know, the it's like, was bad, uh, though. The
0: ta- <laughs> well, <laughs> the and the was bad. <laughs> and then he ordered Dijon mustard. They they had a problem with that also.
2: Oh, so. no, that's fine. I love Dijon mustard.
0: So. <laughs> um, well, you and you brought up the fact that when you were a kid, um, people thought you were going to steal. So that yeah. brings me to my next question, which is the the discrimination you experienced at Coach.
1: I I, oh, yes, yes.
0: I was reading about you and I came upon this article and I was really floored. And so, where were you yeah. in France?
1: No, no, I was in Vancouver.
0: Oh, Vancouver, that's right. Okay, so yeah. tell us what happened. What happened?
1: All right, it's just been like about a year and a half, or yeah, close to a year and a half. So basically, uh, uh, there I was going because going to buy my wife something as a surprise as
2: mm-hmm. a present,
1: and. Uh, uh, I always have like like a creature of habit, like I always do. I have my two cups of coffee in the morning. I was going to go to the coach store real quick when it opens up at 10 and then go to the gym. But anyway, so I have my two cups of coffee. I walk over because it's two blocks away. And it is 9.56 or something like that. It opens up at 10. And I'm like, All right, cool. I'll just wait. Drink my coffee. I'm on my phone. Uh, reading text, looking at Twitter or whatever. And then I think it's, you know, 10, uh, 9, or something like that. And a lady goes like, we're not open yet, a sign or something like that. And I go, oh, it's okay. And then she opens the door. She goes, can I help you? I go, yeah, are, are you open? She And then she literally, she goes, are you going to buy anything? And I'm literally like, what the fuck matter? What does it matter if I'm going to buy anything? Now, mind you, it just, it, I don't, I don't want to say it, it, it wasn't racist. It just was, I think, the way I was dressed uh-huh. that she had an issue with. And so uh, I walked in the store and I am fuming and I got to do everything to calm down. And so I just literally take a picture of her in the store <laughs> and then I write out the tweet and I show her what I'm going to tweet out. And then... <laughs> I think two weeks after that, someone from coach responded to me. Wow. And so they were like, listen, if you could call us back, blah, blah, blah. And then I called them back. She was we're so sorry for the misunderstanding. I go, how is that a misunderstanding? Yeah, there's, there's nothing misunderstood. She looked at me up and down and literally looked at me up and down. Hmm. Like it just was like a, like a, a bad acting workshop. <laughs> she wow. Looked at me up and down and said, are you going to buy anything? And I was like, that's insane. I yeah. go, what if no one should ever say that to somebody? What if they just want to look? Right. What if something they want to buy and save up for? Mm-hmm. What if they're just browsing? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just a mirror. Myri- what if you're just killing time and it's hot outside? Mm-hmm. I mean, whatever reason, you know? So... Yeah, fuck Coach. Fuck Coach, You know what? That
0: really pisses me off because Coach has always been my favorite. I'm not like a purse person. I've never cared about the labels, but I always liked Coach because it was simple. My dad got me one when I was young, and I loved that purse. And now I'm just done with Coach. Fuck Coach.
2: Yeah, Yeah, fuck Coach.
1: Um, And like I said, I don't think it was the the color of the skin or anything. I mean, I look white. So, I mean, I I really think it was just how I was dressed. It was uh, you know, it was just, uh, she made, it made some sort of impression on her, a bad one. I mean, didn't (laughs) they see Pretty Woman? The funny thing is, I'm wearing a Jackie Robinson t-shirt. That that, The irony behind that is just, I mean, I just can't, uh, you know. Wow. That's
0: just, that's too bad. That's just too bad. Um, Yeah. You know, I also wanted to ask you real quick, um, before we get into your acting stuff, you mentioned that, your and this was again on one of your interviews. You mentioned that your daughter is very much like you and that oh, yeah. she was in a private school where, yeah. uh, they were what what happened in her school? She's so she's in a private school and then and before
1: the midterms, yeah. You know, I mean, she was going to a, a private school for uh, uh, ninth is eighth grade or ninth grade? I always forget, I'm like the worst, <laughs> anyway. Um out, out, out of out of middle school so going into high school sorry so ninth grade and um it was a catholic school and um and it was a good school I had nothing to do with it it was a catholic school that's why she went there it could have been any school It was a good school
2: yeah
1: and uh very academic and stuff like that and we started having issues early on with the teachers complaining about her dyed hair she's a rebel <laughs> uh uh, uh, and, and then, so there was an incident where, you know, those ping pong cups that people play ping. I don't even, I've never even played this game, mm. that drinking game. They yeah. Throw ping pongs into the cups.
2: Mm-hmm. What's it called? Whatever I don't know. I, I didn't
0: play it either, but I know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't know what it is. I, yeah, I, <laughs> I rarely drink. So, uh, her friends were playing that game, but without drinking, just trying to get it into the cup. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so they had cups in their bag from the weekend. And so some fell out of my daughter's bag. And so one of the teachers go, oh, that's, like, assumed that she was drinking at mm-hmm. school. I don't know how you have little cups. And then mm-hmm. only the cups came out. It wasn't a pump It wasn't alcohol. Just cups came out of a bag. Uh-huh. And so she made an assumption right. about my daughter. So then one of her classmates went to use the restroom and the restrooms are right by one of the dean's offices and she overheard the dean talking to another teacher and saying yeah i think she's drinking that little girl blah blah and so this little girl came back literally crying and said you have to leave this school and I go and Scott like what are you talking about they're talking so badly about you Oh my God. And then the English teacher brought it up to my daughter, too, and said, these teachers are just horrendous.
2: Wow. But saying
1: bad stuff. It, no, it was crazy. Now, this is stuff I can't prove. Right? right? Like, no one's going to – like, the English teacher is not going to lose her job over this, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just – it's all – I can't prove it, right? It's just all hearsay at that point. Mm-hmm. And then um, she would have uh, Bible class. And the teacher would then talk about women's reproductive rights oh and how it's a sin. Oh. And that during the midterm election, they went to Mass and they prayed for Donald Trump that he would win. Oh my God. Oh my God. That's just and, crazy. And also mind you, there's no separation of church and state because it's a private yeah, school. Right. They could do whatever they want. So, you know, I you know, that wasn't the 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 it, we were gonna take her out of school anyway, just mm-hmm. because she just you know she just wasn't messing with that school. But that was just the uh you know the straw, so right. to speak. So wow, that's so. just
0: crazy. That's crazy. F- that I mean, fuck that school too. <laughs> Oh, I, I just can't even get over that. I would be so angry as a parent if that happened because, yeah, there's no separation of church and state. But still, I mean, this is – they're supposed to be learning about, you know, okay, if she's in Bible study, fine, then learn about the Bible or learn about math or whatever, but not uh, not be praying for the racist president. The president is young.
1: Like, I mean, you know, for you to uh, – you have an experienced life. You ha- you you're not working. Yeah. You're not driving.
2: Yeah.
1: You, you know what I mean. I'm not saying you're too young to understand politics or understand where you're you, where you align politically, but because you, you do have an inkling growing up. But but things change. You change yeah. as a person. You know experiences change you. So you know that's not their job. Mm-hmm. Their job is to, to make sure my my kids is you know well-read, and, you know, understands history, and yada, 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 and I understand politics come up, you know, like, you know, when it comes to women's right to vote, voting, and rule versus way, I'm sure those things come up, you know, but uh, maybe not in that school.
0: (laughs) uh, (laughs) Well, you know, they didn't come up. Uh, I went to California public schools, which also weren't very great. I started out in Maryland, uh, moved to California when I was nine, and stayed there until I was four. 41. And now I'm back in in D.C. But, you know, I I definitely noticed the difference between the education I got in Southern California and it was lacking. So, I mean, I I never learned about Roe. I mean, I I had some okay teachers in California, but I also had teachers that just they didn't they weren't doing their job. They didn't care. And the curriculum wasn't uh, as good as it was on the East Coast. And I always feel like I was kind of gypped on that because I wasn't the student who was naturally disciplined. I needed, and I was also a latchkey kid. I started, yeah. um, I started staying alone by myself, I think when I was in second grade. So, um, really? yeah, and, and I, I actually did have um, some, some place to go but it was it was my aunt and uncle's house up the street from where i lived and they were all insane my cousins and everything they were all insane and i asked my mom i'm like can i just stay home alone and i'm i'm the biggest chicken to this day and at 7 years old i was like my my cousins and my uncle were all very volatile people to say. And, yeah, and gosh, I, you know, yeah. as a little girl, I just couldn't be involved in that. So my mom let me stay by myself when I was seven. So I do understand what it's like to be a latchkey kid. And, and I felt like I was kind of uh, robbed of, of a better education because of the California public school system at the time. Um, yeah. But anyway, that's a whole nother story. Uh, I want to move into your acting because uh, I'm, I'm, I was an actor. Uh, I, you know, not, not a famous actor or anything like that, but I I studied for a long time. And so I have a lot of questions for you. And my very, very, my very first question is, did you always know that you wanted to
1: act? Yeah. I I mean, it's a cliche thing. Yeah. I would say yes. Yeah. I, I I, I didn't know how to, how to go about achieving that goal, but uh, yes, I would say that's something that I always wanted to do. Yeah.
0: And you mentioned your childhood in the Bronx. So, um, What, you know, in terms of, I mean, you can go in any direction you like, but I mean, in in keeping with the idea that you want to be an actor, what was your childhood like? And then, like, did you, um, were there any things, like, for instance, one of the things that I used to do when I was a kid, I'm three years older than you, I used to watch uh, The Bionic Woman. And oh, so, I love the bionic one Yeah, movie. I love her. And I would go out on the street by myself. We lived in Brentwood, California, and I yeah. would, I would like by myself. I would do the slow motion run, and I would, he- I would do that little sound. And I always thought you know, I, you know, when I got older, I thought, what if people were looking at me, you know, through their window,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: this weird, but in my head, I had this whole fantasy world. So like, I'm wondering, as a kid, what was like, did you have? Uh, did you play out parts? You know, were, were you creative that way?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely had like all my army soldiers that I would like, definitely play with and, you know, create all these battles and burn <laughs> them with like Lysol cans, with like a lighter. <laughs> You know, and then I burned down my grandmother's couch doing that <laughs> and then threw the cushion out the about off the balcony and, and put clothes in the middle of the <laughs> cover for the cushion. And she, and meanwhile, it's like smoldering in the house. Oh, and she's my like, god, what happened? I was like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, but as a as eight year old, you're thinking, oh, I'm gonna get away with this, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, I, I did the same stuff and you know, was like, love the Brady Bunch. Me too, me too. Love the Brady Bunch and realized, this is crazy. I realized that I was abused as a child by watching the Brady Bunch (laughs) because whenever they got in in trouble,
2: Uh they never got hit.
1: Yeah. And then when they got punished, I was like, oh, that's nothing. (laughs) I go, that's, are you kidding me? And so we're watching uh mommy dears on that note we're watching yeah. mommy dears in college and i'm watching it with like these five girls and they're all they're all crying when she's getting hit with the wire hanger I swear to god true story and i go seriously <laughs> that's i mean that's and i'm like that's nothing. wow <laughs> and they and they looked at me like with pity yeah and i go Oh shit, I was abused <laughs> really <laughs> oh. bad as a kid. Oh. So, yeah, but I did the same games. And, you know, I played the, you know, I was loner kid yeah, and too. stuff like that. And, you know, but I did play a lot of sports too at the same time. So, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I definitely lean towards, uh, you know, the solo sports. So,
0: yeah. Well, that, it's so funny you bring up the Brady Bunch because um, I I have always been a rabid crazy-ass fan for them. And then, uh, my, like I said, my boyfriend, Bob Seska, and I also now enjoy the Brady Bunch together. And we just watched, f- f- like starting from the first episode... Um, All the way through. And then for my birthday, which was in July, he gave me, uh, you know, all the Brady Bunch episodes and we realized that we missed a lot of them. So we're going to have to go back and watch, but we yeah. totally love watching the Brady Bunch. It's so I much fun. I think they have
1: the outside of the house somewhere in L.A. I read something the, like Actually,
0: that. what they're doing is they're they're recreating. They're taking the, the I guess, whoever it was bought the house. And yeah, but the
1: inside is was on a lot, was on the studio. Right. That's not what the inside looked like right now.
0: Yes, but they got the actual house, and now they're recreating that house. Oh, wow. Cool. So I think – and I know that the cast has been there. Um, Actually, Bob sent me an article about that, and it's kind of funny that they're, like, in this house, and they're like, wow, it looks the same. But, I mean, we like the movies. We like all of it, so that's kind of funny. Um, And then you also went to LaGuardia High School of Music and Art, uh, Performing Arts, which was inspired – which inspired the movie Fame. So I'm curious to know, I'm really curious about this because I was a good student, but basically I was only a good student when I applied myself. And again, I was not the most disciplined student. So um, I was fortunate that I'm pretty smart naturally. And when I didn't try very hard, I would get a C. Uh, When I tried, I got A's and B's. But yeah. I, but I always felt that traditional education wasn't necessarily the best for me because my I I just you know f- granted I I think I might have done better in a in a school that was more strict and disciplined. But since my most of my teachers uh, left it up to me to be self-disciplined, I really wasn't all the time. And so I think a school like that might have been really good for me. So I'm wondering how that kind of a school is different. What was your experience like there? I bet it was amazing.
1: Well, I went to. Uh you know i got kicked out of uh uh my junior high school so my mom took me to uh uh east harlem performing arts and hmm. uh in uh in new york and um, went there and it was an art school and it was like oh this is great but it was also uh academic school at the same time hmm. so me and this other girl had like the highest GPA in all of district four whatever it is like
2: 100 schools or
1: Whatever it was, and so I applied to high school. My for Stevenson and Laguardia, and Lehman. I think I think it was Lehman High School, and I didn't I didn't get accepted to Lehman High School, but I got accepted to the other two, and so went to Laguardia, and so my went from having like a super high GPA to I would how how Laguardia was set up was. You go to all your academics the first half of school, mm-hmm. so you'd go from I think eight a.m. to eleven, lunch from eleven to twelve or twelve thirty. I mean eleven to eleven thirty, whatever it is, and then you'd, until three o'clock, you'd have all the arts.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I would just play hooky <laughs> for. I mean, literally, I was. I would. I wouldn't go to any of the classes. Go take the test get like a 67 or whatever, like a C minus, whatever it is. But my absences would be like 58 wow. absences. Yeah. Because I just knew at that point, this is not what I wanted to do. Yeah. But the funny thing is I would read all the history books. I loved history, mm-hmm. <laughs> loved history. So I would read all those books and that was one of the why I was wondering, I pass all these tests. So, you know, artistically, it was great for me, but academically, I mean, I got a GED. Eventually, I got, I eventually received my GED. So, mm-hmm. um, and I needed to get my GED to go to SUNY Purchase College, hmm. which was a conservatory, four year conservatory. Hmm. So, yeah.
0: Did you study acting there?
1: I did four years. Yeah.
0: Now, what kind that, of acting was and, yeah. that? Yeah. What, like did you did you study method or how, like because i studied meisner and i'm just curious what you study. yeah
1: i mean they're they all have pieces of each other ours was uh okay there is is a great book called acting the first six lessons which is uh it, it's 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 as brilliant as it gets I, i've read that book like seven times hmm. whenever you get stuck and how to do something or have an idea that you can't come up with, it's it's a great read. But yeah, so you would go to when it was purchased, it was literally like 12 hours a day. And you would do movement class, you would do a voice and speech class. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had very thick uh, New York slang. <laughs> so that that school helped me uh, get rid of most of it. And, uh, and then we would have acting class for like three hours and and uh, you know, circus arts. Every year was different, uh uh breaking down scripts, script analysis. Mm-hmm. You know, so and then after that you would have rehearsals. Yeah. So you'd go to class from I think from nine AM to six PM and then rehearsal. I mean, oh, it was like that. That's crazy. So for four years. But but I loved it. So yeah. well yeah
0: it's totally true it's like when you love it it's you just can't stop doing it that's how i feel about what i'm doing
2: right now
1: it's not work at all
0: it's it's fun so then out of uh the first year of college you got oz
1: yeah i did two plays and then i i did uh from one of the plays the director saw me uh no sorry i did a play uh bill hart god bless uh, rest in peace he uh was Sam Shepard's, uh, main director for everything, you know, mm-hmm. cowboy mouth,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, just, just all his great stuff. But, and, um, Bill at the time, uh, saw this play I was in and, and was like, Oh, they were doing, um, uh, oh Lord, I'm having a brain fart here. They were doing, uh, a Tooth of Prime. And so, they, they had thoughts of getting uh, for the lead, because uh, it's, really, it's almost a two-hander. Uh, uh, Eddie Harris, but he was directing his first play at the time. John Malkovich, he hmm. was directing his first play at the time. And they both would have done the part if they yeah. were available. And so then they cast Vincent D'Onofrio, and then they were looking for my part. But the whole time... I was privy to all the casting because Bill Hart was like, you're the guy, you're the guy, you're the guy. <laughs> yeah. And so he rehearsed me. We would, we would rehearse and, and uh, they were thinking about Johnny Depp and all these people, wow. you know, to play the part. You know, it was a big deal in New York at the time. And so I have this big audition and I meet, I meet uh, Sam Shepard the man who started my career and T-Bone Burnett wow. and I go in there and uh I start doing one of the monologues and Sam's like all right all right yeah you can act uh, <laughs> you, you gotta you have a song for us or something and I was like sure and I start singing <laughs> a Jane's Addiction song and <laughs> T-Bone Burnett started laughing I was like wow that must have been bad because <laughs> you know I didn't under you know I'm not a singer yeah I could I could mimic I, I could fake it. Mm-hmm. So, and Sam goes, all right, you got the part. And that was it. And from there, people saw The Truth of Crime. And I got nominated for a drama desk for that. And I got Oz. And Oz was originally written for someone else. And I went in because, you know, obviously, you know, with casting, even if they have an offer to someone or they have someone in mind, they have to have their second and third yeah. position just in case something happens. So they were holding auditions, and I remember going in and everyone was yelling in the room. Now, let's say it's an emotional scene. If you hear eight people, if you're a director or producer, and there's eight, you're watching eight different actors yell, it doesn't matter how good you are, it's just going to sound monotonous. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh fuck, I just got to do the polar opposite. Yeah. Because I literally listened to eight actors just fucking <laughs> yelp. So even if I do it differently, I'm going to stand out because it's different. Yeah. And that's what I did. And, wow. you know, and and I got the part in Oz and that's how it all, you know, came about.
0: Wow. I, I'm watching that now. I'd never seen it, which is, is kind of interesting because I, I have this weird fascination about prison life. I actually don't believe in the way, uh, the way we run our prison system, the for-profits prison. But um, I've always had this fascination to the degree where, um, and I'll just be real quick with this. I used to sell industrial chemicals and um, I actually loved that job. That was a fun, interesting, weird job. And I was so excited <laughs> to get uh, like a, a meeting with this guy who ran LA prison and like yeah. downtown LA. And it, it was really, except it was funny because on that particular day that I had, I finally got the meeting and I, I really was so interested and I wanted to ask the guy questions and stuff. And so I had to actually bring this girl along with me who was considering working for the company. And she had to find out, like go on a, a, a day in the life of a, a sales rep for chemical sales. And so, yeah. um, so <laughs> she had this BMW and, I looked at her and because my trunk was filled with any sales rep who sells chemicals is going to have a trunk filled with chemicals. And so I said, yeah. say goodbye to your trunk. And I think that's when I lost her. And then I told her, okay, now we're heading to prison. And her eyes just became huge. And we go to <laughs> like L.A. County Prison and it's just so dank and awful. But it was so fascinating to me. And so I I had fun. She never took the job. But I, I had never watched Oz and I think there was a little – part of me that was afraid. So, uh, you know, I knew I was going to talk to you and I've been watching it Now I'm on the second season now. And I, as the second season, boy, it really gets cooking. I mean, the end of the first season, which even though it happened years ago, I'm not going to give anything away in case anybody hasn't seen it, but it really starts to build this crescendo. And, um, and I'm just like curious with you, what was it like to do that? I mean, I know over time your part got bigger and I know that, um, it. I mean, it's got to have some kind of impact on you, and and especially in the way that you view prisons. But I mean, just as an actor, going and putting your head in that space, what was it like?
1: Yeah. You know, to, to be honest, it, you know, it's one of those things. You're 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 so young, and everything's moving so fast, and that really was like maybe like my second or third time in in front of the camera.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, whereas, you know, in the stage, I was. I was vastly more capable, you know what I mean? Because that's what we trained in. We never really trained, you know, you go to theater school. Back then, you didn't train for camera. Now they do. Back then, it was just theater. And, you know, it's a different medium, obviously, the same way film is and, you know, TV to to theater. And so I wish I could go back, to be honest, because I would have done things differently and because a lot of times you take things for granted too you know what i mean Mm -hmm. you know you're not living in the moment Mm -hmm. so to speak so you know it was good practice for Mm these so so to speak you know what i mean yeah but but the camaraderie that we all had i mean i can imagine it was you know everyone talks listen most actors are 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 are, are shitty people. And what I mean by that is they're egotistical. They're just me, 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 me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when's lunch? How long do I got to wait? <laughs> yeah. Most actors are, listen, most actors, that. you know that, most actors are assholes, right? <laughs> that wasn't the case. We all hung out. I mean, we had the best time cracking jokes, huh. gambling, playing. <laughs> Uno, <laughs> drinking. I mean, it's just every, it was so filled with so much enjoyment with each other.
2: Yeah.
1: And it, it was such a family atmosphere. Most people, you know, when they talk about the shows they've done, they lie and they say, oh, I love the cast. No, you could speak to every single one of the actors <laughs> on that show and they will say the same exact thing uh, that i have said yeah. i mean it was uh just magical it, it really was magical from the uh from and, and it comes from from up top right yeah and it trickles down tom fontana is just a beautiful wonderful man just yeah. lovely lovely man
0: that's good to know and you can kind of you know i mean you can see it as i said i mean the the uh, There was the first season and then I can really tell the second season um, that camaraderie had really formed, you know, and, yeah. and, and the energy was there. I mean, it was good from the first show and I mean, jaw dropping some of some of the scenes. I mean, there was that scene where, and I don't remember anybody's name, but it was the Nazi guy who burned the swastika And is it, I can't remember the guy's name.
2: Beecher. Beecher. And I just feel so
0: sorry for Beecher. But anyway, like when he, when he burns that swastika, it's like, oh my God, it's just so awful. Um, But it's also fascinating. I don't, I, again, I don't know what it is that fascinates me about the, the mind of, of somebody in prison. I've also been fascinated by serial killers, and it's certainly not because I like them. It's just that they're yeah, yeah. so fascinating and interesting. Um, and then also, you know, I'm watching Band of Brothers now. And yeah. you, you played Joe Toy, who yeah. was a paratrooper who earned four Purple Hearts.
1: Four, I know. Uh, forget about that
0: that's just crazy and i know he passed away before you had the opportunity to meet him.
1: 96 yeah we started in 99 he passed away in 96
0: did you you know when you were preparing for that role did you talk to anybody in his family how did you prepare prepare for that role
1: yeah i mean we had like a pretty much like a dossier like every actor had like a dossier of their guy and uh, you know videotapes audio tapes uh interviews uh pictures uh uh, family members and that you could talk to and stuff like that and you know it, it was so difficult because you know the I think at the time the main the guy who wrote the bible was of the show the overall arc of the show he was replaced and so you know one of the stories that was left out that i was just like how do you not tell this story was there was a part where in uh, Bastone and the uh, easy company was trapped in the forest for like a month freezing temperatures 20 below mm-hmm. you know and then they would have to pee on their weapons because their hands would freeze to the metal oh my God. so they would pee on their weapons so their hands could unstick i mean you know they didn't have uh you know all the high tech gear we have now, Gore Tex and all mm-hmm. that stuff, it just was wool. <laughs> you heard I me? Mean? Yeah. And when wool is wet, we all know what that feels like. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, so they needed to find out how many of the, uh, the, the the how many uh, were, were in the German encampment and what kind of weapons they had and stuff like that. So they wake up one morning and Joe Toy is missing. This is a true story. Uh-huh. Joe Toy is missing. And, you know, rumors get out. Joe Choi went AWOL, all this stuff. He's got three Purple Hearts. So, you know, (laughs) know, I don't think he went AWOL. Right. And then he comes back a day later with a live German prisoner. Oh, my God. And I'm like, how do you not tell that story? Yeah. How do you, of all this, I'm sorry. (laughs) That's the story you got to tell. So, you know, but it was feast or famine with everyone because everyone, everyone's, guy that they played had a story like mm-hmm. that you know they, they don't call it the greatest generation you know it's yeah you know they they, they I, I i talk about it in the they have a uh, documentary in Banner brothers and i said there was no self-analysis back then there was no prozac yeah. there's no xanax <laughs> if they had an issue or problem what did they do they drank yeah and they went to work that's what they did mm-hmm. and they did it for you know until they died mm-hmm. and you know they, you know, obviously they had their flaws, but they don't make men like that anymore. You know, just tough guys. You just had to work and they had to feed their family, had to do what they had to do. You know?
0: Yeah. I mean, they vol- everybody volunteered to do this.
1: Everybody volunteered. They volunteered to jump out of an airplane. What is that? <laughs> You're gonna have a parachute. What is that? (laughs) We're gonna give you we're gonna give you ten or twenty dollars extra month. Yeah. Oh man. That's the reason why. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That that was just and you know, and you are fighting Nazis. So I I, it must must be kind of interesting for you at this point in time. I mean, you had to pretend Basically, you know, you had to get in the mindset of fighting Nazis, (coughs) and now here we are, you know, looking at global uh, white supremacy on the rise. It must be fighting them (laughs) again. Yeah, I mean, it's a different fight, but it's it's something that I mean, I can imagine that it must be for you, you know, and everybody who was on that uh, series. It yeah. must feel you know i mean granted you 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 were portraying these people, but at the same time I mean in order to portray someone you have to you know whether it's a a fictional character or a real person, you have to get into that head and and so it's it must be weird to like kind of feel like you're back,
1: <laughs> you know yeah well you know it's weird is you know when they say uh you know uh, earlier on they were saying uh You know, they want things to go back to the way it was Mm -hmm. in the 50s and stuff like that. But, you know, in the 40s, most of those, you know, and and I'm assuming, but but I think most of those guys, let's say from Easy Company or just men in general back then, you know, they were old fashioned.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, they, you know, they they had their issues and they were sexist. You know what I mean? Of Mm -hmm. course. Yeah. But, you know, they would hold the door open for women right they would never call a woman fat or ugly or say we're gonna grab her by the pussy yeah they wouldn't, you know what i mean yeah so just i'm just saying the irony of you know that they want things to go back to the 40s and 50s but the man that they're uh that they're supporting wouldn't be respected back wouldn't i mean He'd be punching the mouth back then if yeah. you said half of that stuff. You know? A,
0: yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's 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 crazy. And
1: five deferments <laughs> yeah. for bone spurs? <laughs> Listen, Kim, I've run sub-three-hour marathons <laughs> with bone spurs. Let, let me explain <laughs> that to you. So you, you understand? Yeah. And, and if he's such a healthy man. Right. Such a man's man. You know what <laughs> I mean? And, I mean, he's a disgusting human. He's so know what not. What a cocksucker! Seriously.
0: Yeah, he totally is, and he lives in—you know—he lives in a Trump bubble. He's lived in it his whole life, so he's got his yeah. own version of reality, which is nothing like reality. Um, it's more like reality television, and that's—that's that's yeah. what he lives in. Um, you know, I asked—I asked—I had Vincent D'Onofrio on the show, and I asked—I oh, cool. had asked him this question, and I wanted to ask you, um, as a male actor, have you ever experienced in the business um, body image pressures? Or any, you know, anything from industry professionals, because clearly, I mean, you're married to an actress. I imagine she has yeah. experiences. I was an actress, and my whole, my whole experience as an actress, because I'm six feet tall and I have big bones, and and yeah. you know, I mean, I'm not. Um, I, I was never skinny. And I was never yeah. Hollywood skinny. I was slender. But I always felt very insecure. And, and then I did have people tell me that I either had to lose weight or whatever. And I'm just like, as a male, now I look at you and you've always been fit. And it seems like you have the ideal, um, you know, package when it comes to your body and everything. But, but maybe you've experienced it. I don't know.
1: No, I mean, if, 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 if this is the thing. Whenever I feel uncomfortable with doing something and I just say, no, mm-hmm. you, you, you know what I mean? I mean, it's, it, it's very easy to say no. I mean, I know people think it's hard, but you, you make a decision,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you make a decision morally, ethically, but you make a decision and whether you want to cross that boundary, you make a decision. Yeah. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's, it, it's easy for me to say, cause I'm, I'm, I'm not in a woman's shoes, mm-hmm. but if someone told me to lose weight, and I felt that it was an unhealthy weight. I wouldn't do it yeah. if it affected my career. Then I make that decision. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Whether I want to cross my my ethical bounds or my moral bounds or, or whatever you want to call it, you make a decision. Mm-hmm. It's 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 for, I, I'm. It might be easier for me to say this because I'm I'm a man. I, I don't know if there's there's that the industry is harder on women than it is men. Yeah. You know what I mean? Their their careers are. Pretty much over around thirty. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's a hard business for women. You know what I mean? Unless you're Meryl Streep or you know uh, Judy Dench and yada yada yada. But I, I just say no, and if people get upset about it, fuck them. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, yeah and you I know mean, what I
0: do think that that um attitude really helps because I do think a lot of it is about attitude my attitude unfortunately was just extreme insecurity and you know yeah. there was there was a girl I've told the story before a woman I should say but young woman she she was a regular on a very popular television series Prior And and in part, got that series because she met me. I introduced her to my acting studio where um, when we graduated, we had something called the professional level where we invited casting directors and agents and she met this one agent who worked for Warner Brothers and started dating the agent and then uh, went through and got every show and wound up as a recurring character on this huge show. And she told me oddly, I mean, I had considered her a friend and she told me that if I wanted to be and she was just an actress. She wasn't like in, she wasn't going to hire me or anything, but she said if if I, uh, I had to lose 20 pounds in order to be considered sexy, which by the way, if I had lost 20 pounds, I would have looked wrong because there was a time in my life where I got sick. I I had this like severe bacterial sinusitis thing and I lost a bunch of weight. I was already thin and I lost a bunch of weight and, and it looks wrong on me because, you know, like, for instance, Kristen Johnson has been on this show, the, you know, from Third Rock from the Sun. Sure. And yeah. now she and I are very similar because she's six feet tall. I'm six feet tall. But she has a very narrow frame and small bones. So yeah. um, I could never look like her no matter what I did. And so when I got really thin, people were alarmed. People were there's this guy in my acting class. He was so cute. He came up. He's like, please don't lose any more weight. And it's like, well, don't <laughs> worry. It'll come back. I've just been sick. Yeah. But, um, you know, but the fact that she told me that it it, and I'm not going to blame her because it's not her fault, but her words caused me to have an eating disorder. Fortunately, yeah. it was somewhat short-lived, and the majority of my problem was not eating enough food. It, I, I wasn't an, yeah. an anorexic, but I just didn't eat enough. And um, and so, yeah, I mean, the pressure for me was, it was hard because I started out as somebody who was taller than everybody. I was taller than most of the male actors. I'm bigger than than most people. So I felt yeah. immediately, I went into it thinking I'm, I'm different. And so, but I mean, you're... Your point that when you just have that idea in your head that like I'm just not gonna put up with this shit. Yeah. Um, I think it's probably helpful.
1: I mean you know, and I'm sure somebody's gonna like, you know, like you asked me a question and it's a short question, you know, and, and get too deep into it. But I'm sure somebody's gonna say, Well, it's easy for you, women have it I'm 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 agreeing. Women have it hard mm-hmm. physically. The way they should look physically, the way they should look emotionally, magazines. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a they 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 tell you how women should look. They're hard on them, mm-hmm. and then it, it, I, I'm agreeing with all of that. Yeah. All I'm saying is, you make a decision. Yeah, it's true. You make a decision now. now there's exceptions to everything i'm not talking about those exceptions but what i'm saying in general if someone tells you to lose weight you don't have to lose weight yeah well right. we're not going to get that part well then you make a decision right you make a decision
0: well and you know it's so it, what comes to mind when you say that because it is what you put out i think so much of the time it's your attitude and there yeah. there was uh, i was uh, what was it called? I can't remember. I was doing this audition. I was a reader. So basically, yeah. I had auditioned for the lead of a film and then they asked me to stay for the entire day so I would read with all the guys coming in. and sure. um, So there was this, you know, and I have to say, most of these guys, I'm like, what the fuck? Where are the good-looking hot guys? There were none. And um <laughs> <laughs> it like, it's just a bunch of bums. But anyway, so this guy finally comes in toward the end of the day and I've seen him on so many, he's done, he works in Hollywood a lot. He mostly I've seen him on commercials, but he was that guy. He was that guy on the run. He was busy and he just had all the confidence in the world. And he comes in and, and he does the audition with me and he was very surface. He was good surface, but just surface. There was absolutely no depth to him whatsoever. So, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking pass. He's not, he's not the character he was, you know, auditioning for, it was a romantic kind of comedy. And, um, he just was, I don't know. He phoned it in. And he was boring. And he sat there with these two people that it was the producer and the casting director after he finished the audition. And he, he said to them, um, look, I'm going out of town. So I need to know uh, what's going on with this. You need to let me know when I need to get to, you know, when, when, when we start. And he just like talked to them as if he had the role and they were eating out of his hand. I couldn't believe it. It was like, he was not good yet. His whole, attitude was so positive and you know he was so confident that they just assumed. I mean I don't know if they would have cast him because in the end the movie never got made. But still yeah. it was just it was the whole idea of like they were salivating all over this guy that I thought was mediocre at best. So yeah. that was just you know I think you have there is something to what you say about Especially like actresses, because it's so tough for us. But yeah, um, you know, if you just decide, like you said, it's a decision. If you just decide, all right, well, I'm not willing to um, hurt my body for this role. Okay, then I'm not going to have this role.
1: Yeah. Oh, I'll tell you something. Something we were talking about, about auditioning. I did a film, uh, independent film. I won't mention any names. I did an independent film, and we were in the audition process, and I already got the part, and I was reading with all the other girls,
2: mm-hmm. from the lead
1: girl, and so they had some some famous people there. And one of them was Julia Stiles, but mm-hmm. before she was Julia Stiles. And so the director, when we had the second group come in, because they had it in a way where the girls they really liked were coming in later on. So and so the director, who's female, goes to me. So, Kirk, if you if you feel that you have a connection with anyone and they're really good and you want to go in for that kiss there, that where that's written, go for it. And I'm thinking, you're out of your mind. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Because that's inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just beyond inappropriate. So she she got mad at me because I wasn't doing it, and mm-hmm. she wanted me to do it with uh it yeah, with and i don't even know if she remembers it it's, it's short. It's and uh, sam rockwell a bunch of people in it so cut to this the same director we were the girl they hired was i think 16 years old
2: mm-hmm.
1: and she needed parental consent and uh to do the picture because there was, like, a kissing scene mm-hmm. with me, and I was, like, 20. Wow. And I'm thinking, you know, this is just crazy. I'm just, I'm going to kiss her, like, on the lips. <laughs> Nothing. You know, not the other way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so the director comes up, she goes, why won't you kiss her? I go, she's 60. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I mean, like, wow. what, she goes, and then she, she asked me, she goes, can I talk to you on the side? I go, sure. She goes, she goes, I cannot make this up. Are you gay? Oh wow. I said, what'd you say to me? And she goes, Are you gay? And I said, No. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, but my point is that now that we're getting in tricky territory, because now that the hat's on the other foot, so to speak, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, like it's now it's the double standard coming out, right? I didn't want to make a big issue of it because women have it all the time. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I didn't want to be like, Oh, you know what I mean? And I plus because of who I am, just meaning just my temperament, I could handle the situation myself. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that was a reoccurring theme hmm. during that filming of that. Because when we went to Sundance, this, this, the same director and producer, who were both female, they were in this hot tub and they go, Kirk, you wanna come in? And at that point, I just didn't like them. Yeah, you, you know what I mean? I just don't like you. Yeah, <laughs> And I said, no, I'm fine. And they giggled and laughed, they go, he's gay. Oh my God. It was just the craziest thing. That's really like, ridiculous. And I was so mad because I wanted to tell them why I really didn't like you. But yeah. then, then that would have been rare. Right. going down to that level. And you know, I, I was secure with myself to I mean you could call me whatever you want. I mean you, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's I wanna fight I can't win. You, you know, <laughs> yeah. I wanna to go to a battle with someone I can't win with. Not with them. You, yeah. you, you know what I mean? Right. I, yeah. I would be a, I would be a bully if right. things escalated. So Well you know. it's
0: just sad that they would make the, I mean that assumption in the first place oddly enough though you know there was this there was this guy i have one more question for you but before we get into that i i was in my acting studio um there was this guy that i i was so excited to be paired with him because he was this really i'm tall he's tall and he's bigger than me so i was excited about that and he looked like he just stepped off uh the set of The sopranos i mean he was very italian looking he's a nice looking guy uh, very intense, and so I cut a scene from, um, oh God, what is that? Faithful, the one with, Chaz, Chaz Terry wrote it, and, and Cher was in the movie. I don't yeah. know if you know it, but I love that movie. And so I did a scene, you know, I cut up this, put the scene together for us. And it, it was so weird because, and, and he was gay, and he, like, you would never know he was gay. He had this, like, yeah. very macho demeanor. And it, it really, he couldn't handle being in the scene. And he didn't want to do it. It was just, it, it just blew my mind. I thought, you're going to get hired for all these, like, you know, because uh, all the scenes that he wanted to do with me were, like, really sweet and loving. And, and, and I <laughs> yeah. you know, and, like, and kind of boring. And, and even my acting coach was like, you guys got to do something that has some meat to it. I mean, you're both yeah. such tall, you know, strong actors and people that you want to, you know, yeah. and it's like, and he just he couldn't take it. It was, it, I just thought that was interesting that he didn't feel comfortable doing that. I don't uh, know that he went on to to continue. I mean, obviously, I stopped acting, but um, I don't know that. I would say
1: think. that that would be a problem for him.
0: Yeah, it would be, <laughs> and it was upsetting for me because he was doing a good job. You know, it was like he was yeah. he was really good in the role, and then he just he just didn't feel comfortable doing it anymore. And I was like, well, you're not going to be getting you're not going to be cast as the warm fuzzy. You know what I mean? He's like, he he totally would have been cast in Sopranos or something like that. And he was a good actor. So anyway, that was just a little side story. But the last question I want to ask you um, is, do you have any kind of like favorite role? And if you do, what was it about that role?
1: Uh, You know, it would be anything, all my theater stuff, Hmm. you know, You know, there's a hierarchy, right, with with film and TV. There's a hierarchy. So the the better roles are going to go to the more established, famous people. Yeah. If I'm doing theater, I'm going to be the lead. Yeah. Where I'm have a more meaty, three-dimensional part. You you know what I mean? Yes. Whereas, you know, so I can't necessarily say it's anything that I've done in film. You know, there's parts I have fun in, but they're one or two-dimensional. It is is what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a... you know, we're we're unfortunately in a business that's it's all subjective. Mm-hmm. You know, you you like you love that song, I hate it. You love that painting, I hate it. You, you know what I mean? It's yeah. the same thing with performances. Right. Same thing with with talent. There's there's no way to. You know, we all know Meryl Streep and Daniel Day Lewis are the best actors on the planet. We all know
2: yeah.
1: that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah Harvey You know, Denzel Washington. We all know those are really really good actors but there's some people that believe this person's a good actor yeah you know what i mean and, and it's it's subjective so unfortunately it would be it would be all my theater stuff because i was able to play a fully developed character you well, know that
0: makes sense yeah and then you also get the um the live audience and and the energy of the live audience as well as no, doing it there's nothing know? like it. every every yeah.
1: performance is different they laugh here one night they cry here or the other yeah they boo <laughs> or they roll their eyes the other i mean it just changes depending on the energy of the audience so i love it yeah and then you
0: also don't have to just film a little scene here and a little scene there you get to kind of do it from the beginning to the end
2: yep. all
0: in one all in one shot and so yeah. it's a totally different experience than you know, sitting in your trailer and waiting and then waiting for the light and you just, it's, yeah. Well, you get you
1: get instant gratification every night, every, every scene, maybe a, a couple of dozen times when yeah. you do it live. You really get no gratification in a film because you never know. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. never know with a TV show. You never know if that scene was done well or not. You, you just don't know because they'll... They could edit it in a certain way. maybe exactly, The director yeah. liked a different cut, a different take. Uh, you know, there's uh, there, there, there's a myriad ways of, of of a film and TV show fail. You, 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 you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, there, there are fewer ways where a theater show could fail. Hmm. There are fewer ways. I I, I feel. Yeah. You know, it, because yes they have to sell tickets on Broadway and stuff like that so they play the name game but there's less of a name game mm-hmm. in theater as it, there is in TV and film hmm. you know what I mean yeah. now it's it's you know we need the, the Chinese market so we gotta hire this person mm-hmm. and no one knows but they're known in China mm-hmm. and is the way the game is it's, it's evolved it's so corporate now and so mm-hmm. just big business it's it's, it's, yeah, it's the way it is. Wow.
0: Well, we're you just know, all you, so grateful you could that... Be the, you,
1: you could be the best person. There's no such thing as you're the best person for the job. There's no such thing. Yeah. That's what people, like, you know, I go back to my old alma mater, SUNY Purchase, and I got to be as positive as, as possible <laughs> without without really telling them the truth. Yeah. The works, you know what I mean? Yeah. But the the the, the, the you could only control what you can control. And that is how prepared you are in the room. That's the the only thing you can control. Mm -hmm. Not not even controlling how good you are because, you know, good is subjective. Yes. Just being as prepared as you could be in that room, Mm -hmm. being off book, doing your research, doing your homework, doing your homework of the people in the room, who's casting it, who's directing it, who's in it, do all your homework. Mm -hmm. That's all is is be prepared. You know, uh, being and being on time, being prepared, being good is optional. (laughs)
0: Well, that's what I always felt. You know, I mean, eventually I left the business and it was a slow crawl out. But still, it was something that I, had. (laughs) you know, I never uh, I I don't regret this, but I never reached the level of success that I had obviously been wanting. Um, I I reached some of it. I got to be on national television and I, you know, a couple of different times and and, and on Days of Our Lives, I was, you know, like I said, for seven years, I was I played a police officer. So I, I got to understand what that was about. But um, I always felt and I always said this, too, that I really didn't even consider other actors competition because, of course, you know, we're all competing. You know, you've got a group of people competing for a particular role. And then it's like you're saying it's going to come down to a subjective decision. Um, Yeah. I can't, I can't control if I look like the producer's ex-wife who he hates or whatever it's about. So it's like, I'm really not competing with anybody other than myself. And, you know, am I going to be right for that role? Well, That's going to be determined by the person who's casting. And, yeah. and, and who's paying me. So, yeah, I totally get that. It's like you, and, and I always did. I showed up on time, I showed up prepared, and it really, and unfortunately in my experience, and, and, and maybe if I stayed with it longer, I quit when I was like 31, um, but I, I think that, you know, I felt like, well, it didn't matter that I was prepared and professional and respectful of, of everybody's time. I think, you know, I, I didn't have the, the luck that you needed to get cast in that first breakout role and I didn't have the connection. You know, I didn't I yeah. didn't know somebody. So, um, you know, and again, I, I you know, I could have stayed as you know, stayed in, in and pursued acting and perhaps I would have gotten that break. Um I just chose I didn't really want it anymore. I, I'd been I did it for about ten years and then yeah. I just decided, you know, <sighs> I just I don't want to you know I don't want to listen to another casting director tell me what kind of picture I have to I just don't want to spend a thousand dollars on pictures anymore and I just I'm just yeah. done I'm done and and fortunately now you know I mean it took me a while because I I was an actress and then I I I just left the the industry for the most part and was became a salesperson and worked yeah. in various different sales jobs and then. I accidentally, you know, became, well, I was an author and then I became an activist and here I am now interviewing you. So it's just, it's just, <laughs> awkward. and I really like it. This is actually, I, I like doing this because it's all on my
1: terms. Nice. Nice. So,
0: but I, you know, I love what you're doing. I love what you're doing on Twitter. I love your voice. I, 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 I appreciate it. And of course, as an actor, I'm, I'm getting to know you more. Um, because I am watching this uh, these shows that you're in, and I, I'm going to be watching Planet of the Apes. Which, by the way, um, I never liked the Charlton Heston apes, and so I just didn't watch those. Yeah. And so while I was researching you, I you know I, I looked at the Planet of the Apes trailer, and now I'm dying to see it. That oh, looks it's, really it, good. Is,
2: it's a really
1: good film. Yeah, that's I'm gonna really good.
0: I'm gonna watch that with Bob, who's already seen it. So
1: yes, um, you'll you'll have fun with that one.
0: Yeah, well, that's gonna be cool. So thank you for being on the show. Um, my pleasure. Thank I you really appreciate me. it. And, um, all right, everybody, uh, vote blue, right? <laughs> uh, I, I, always, always. No just, matter who. Just Thank vote you. blue, no matter who. All right. Yep. Uh, you take care, Kirk. Thank you, Kim.
2: Appreciate it.
0: Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kirk Acevedo. He's so cool. Isn't he cool? Oh my God. I love talking to actors. They're just so interesting and fun. Um, all right, so you can follow me on Twitter at author Kimberly, and that's K I M B E R L E Y. Don't forget to also follow um, Steph Walton at Lady Brain Show, and you can visit my Amazon author page to see the books I've written. Which one of them is the Virgin Diaries, which is seventy-two men and women describing what it's like to have sex for the first time, and they're all ages. Uh, you know, there maybe somebody fifty-five described what it was like to have first-time sex at thirteen. So there's all kinds of stories. And then there's Peyton's Choice, which is a fictional book about teen abortion. I have four books all together. Visit Amazon, check it out. And next week, we're going to be talking to a climate scientist who advises uh, politicians on how to talk about climate and climate change and all of that. So that's going to be a really interesting show. I hope you will tune in. And I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Kirk Acevedo. See you next week.